everyone, you are listening to Kesara Sara with me, Sarah Ann Malone. I am a teacher candidate studying at the University of Ottawa, sharing my journey into education with the world. Enjoy this episode. So hello everyone and welcome to the podcast. Um, tonight I'm speaking with a very special guest and somebody that um, I've known through Twitter and social media um, for a few years now and that I've been following and uh, I kind of, I had a shot in the dark when I asked her to uh, to blindly be on my podcast and she very quickly and um, graciously accepted. So I have her on tonight. Her name is Molly and um, Molly is a very special case. So I'm uh, speaking from Ontario, Canada tonight. She is in New Jersey, correct? Yes, correct. Right. And she um, is actually been teaching in China. So we are going to have a very um, enlightening conversation about the U.S. education system and her journey into teaching and what it's like teaching um, across the world. I have so many questions and I think it's going to be so insightful um, for everyone to hear about what it's like um, to be a foreign teacher teaching in a completely very different country than than what we're used to. So good evening, Molly. Would you like to introduce yourself? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, hi, I'm Molly. Uh, Sarah definitely talked me up way too much, um, but I'm hoping that, you know, I can shed some light on what it's like teaching abroad and especially sharing what I've learned about teaching in China, especially as somebody with a teaching certification, the kind of opportunities that I've had um, and the fact that I've had kind of the non-traditional and unconventional mm -hmm. um, journey into becoming a teacher. Yeah, I think that's what makes your case so special is that you're truly the only person that I know or have ever heard of that has done this. Like I have heard of, you know, everybody talks about doing it, but I don't know anybody who's actually done it. So props really? to you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so okay, I guess my first question is like, what made you decide to go and teach abroad was china your first place um on your list or what were what were you thinking oh gosh i honestly never thought in a million years i would <laughs> end up in china it was never on my radar really? um, when i was at, at in college um i actually studied abroad in tokyo so i had always loved the idea of living in tokyo maybe um so yeah, China was never something I anticipated. It was really my career with Disney was what led me into China. Since Disney has schools all over all over China, they um, offered me a job to teach English in Shanghai. So yeah, really the only reason I ended up in China was to continue with Disney. Awesome. Okay, so um, we'll like step back a couple <laughs> years. So where did you go? Um, where did you go to college? So I went to school um, at Hofstra University in New York, and that's where I got my um, my bachelor's degree and my teaching certification was in New York State. Neat. Okay, so how long does it take to become a teacher in New York State? Because in Canada, uh, well, at least for me, it's, I'm going into my sixth year, and then mm -hmm. I'll be officially qualified. <laughs> Oh boy. Well, yes. Yeah, so every state, you know, has different standards. So New York states can be pretty rigorous. Um, but we, you know, you do, it's a four year, you can do it in your four years of undergrad. Um, but in addition to just getting your diploma, if you want your teaching certification, 
um, you have to do um, further things. Now, um, I'm actually not the best person to ask about that because they've actually changed the criteria, but at the time I had to complete my student teaching for a semester and so many hours of observations on top of that. Right. Um, and additionally complete um, a few exams of content and literacy. Now they've extended it to where you have to submit um, really in-depth um, kind of assessment. You have to record yourself teaching a class Whoa. in video that's assessed. Yeah, it's a whole big thing and I missed it by a year, so I'm kind of <laughs> relieved. Um, and then in New York from there, you have to continue to get your master's degree um, and complete really? a certain number of hours of teaching in order to extend your degree or your certification into a permanent one. Whoa, that is so interesting. Okay, so how many years do you have under your belt then? Well, so now moving you know, forward after I graduated right. in 2013 uh, with my initial teaching certificate, I realized that I really didn't feel like I was ready to start teaching right away. I mm -hmm. kind of didn't feel like I wanted to jump right into it, um, which is what led me to moving to Florida to work at Walt Disney World. Holla. Yeah. <laughs> Fellow alumni, right? Yes. I worked there in 2014. Okay. In the summer so, of 2014. Gosh, where did you work again? Oh my God. Um, so I kind of worked all over Disney. Um, I did my college program working in Epcot. I continued to a professional internship in um, the animal education team. Oh, yes. Oh um, my gosh. That's so amazing. I wish. It was great and a really unconventional kind of education field to get to be with Disney. Yeah, absolutely. So then. So you finished your degree, and then when did you decide that you wanted to apply to the program in China? So I had been with Disney for about two years when I was starting to get a little antsy to try <laughs> something new. Um, I knew that I still loved working for the company, as I'm, you know, most people tell you they never want to leave. Um, right. And, um, but I, I wanted to make sure that I was still, you know, doing a lot of like, you know, professional development. I wanted to uh, keep improving as a teacher. Um, yeah. Disney World's education is more informal. It's more kind of like a museum or zoo based type thing. And I mm -hmm. knew that I needed to keep getting classroom experience. So when I found out that Disney has English centers in China to teach young, like kindergarten age kids English, it seemed like a good combination of still working for the Disney company, mm -hmm. um, getting more classroom teaching experience, and getting to go abroad. It seemed like kind of the best. It's like of a win, win, and win. Yeah, exactly. You know. <laughs> so then, uh, evidently, you got accepted. You packed your bags, and did you did you go to China alone? Did you know anyone that was also um, at the same like placement, like the same? I don't know, uh, location as you, or did you just kind of pack up and go on a new adventure? It was mostly me on my own. Um, funnily enough, one of my former roommates when I had lived in Florida had also gone on to work for Disney English. Um, so she had moved there a few months before I had, but we hadn't kept in touch too much. So most of my like mm -hmm. questions and concerns were like very like had no clue what I was getting myself into so yeah it really was me just kind of jumping in without knowing anybody that's that's totally cool that's 
that's too awesome. So then you're there, and how, like, what was it like being in front of all of these students? Did they have any, did they know the basics, did, or were you teaching them really the, the, the fundamental steps of English? And how, like, what was the training like? Um, kind of all of that fun stuff. So for my training, I had a kind of special case in that mine was especially <laughs> unfortunate where um, our training kind of had to get um, kind of fast forwarded because they ended up being desperate to have teachers come in because um, they okay. were short staffed. So um, also our training group only consisted of me and one other person in Shanghai. Um, oh. So it wasn't, you know, I'm sure you remember like your traditions class of a yes. bunch of people training. This wasn't quite like that. Um, and it had turned out, they told me that the person I was replacing had fled the country without telling anyone. Oh, and goodness. so they, yes, China story. Um, <laughs> and so they were desperate to get a new teacher in. Um, so I was kind of felt, and I, I think every teacher kind of has that feeling of, oh gosh, I'm not prepared for this. I can't believe you're throwing me in front of this class and I don't, I don't know if I'll ever be ready. But there's kind of a good thing about kind of just jumping in. You know, you'll never be fully ready that you kind of just have to do mm -hmm. it. Um, Learn as you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I did. The kids themselves, um, it really varied. There was, they, um, they grouped the kids by their English abilities. There's a whole comprehensive, um, you know, curriculum of where kids get grouped based on how they scored and what their age is. Um, but for the most part, I mean, these kids really had little to no English ability because they were babies. They were four, five, yeah, six so years bad. old. Uh huh. So was there somebody there that could speak the language to help with that language yeah. barrier? Okay. Because I was going to say that that's kind of like doing the impossible right right the <laughs> idea of because you know it's the it disney is it's an immersive learning environment so the yes. idea is if you speak english and only english to these students these learners that they will pick up on the language by context that okay. um even if maybe they don't know what the words sit nicely mean and you can say it in English a zillion times, you know, they will mm -hmm. eventually start to realize that when, you know, teacher sits down with her hands in her lap and says, sit nicely, that that's what I'm asking them to do. So right. um, you kind of, you didn't want to be using Chinese commands. You want to be using constantly English context, but for safety reasons and because, mm -hmm. you know, make it, more practical we had a local hired chinese um co-teacher they were okay. called a learning partner and they are you know equally teaching these kids english but they can also help with communicating with parents um mm -hmm. if there was you know a time that you needed to speak chinese to the students um so we kind of could work off of each other um, but the, the learning partners also did speak English and were helping just as much to be teaching them. Um, so that made it a little bit more um, workable. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a huge asset just because, you know, to a certain extent, if there are some serious things you need to, to tell the students, well, you need to be able to speak their language. So did you exactly. catch on to any? Did you start learning um, Chinese at all? Oh, 
Yes, I learned, honestly, I learned the most Chinese from my students. It was kind of a reverse of what I was doing for them where they would finish their homework and they would say, I'm done in Chinese. And I would hear it and hear it every day so often that I came to realize, oh, you're saying I'm done in Chinese, <laughs> things like that. Or, oh, I have to use the bathroom. That was another common one. Um, so most of my Chinese is at a five-year-old's level <laughs> because of how much I've learned from them. Yeah, um, I know. <laughs> but of course, you know, as an English teacher and now teaching at an English-speaking international school, I don't have any need to speak Chinese and I'm not supposed to speak Chinese at work um, and okay. the people that I work with are all also English speakers because I've always been in English organizations so I'm not experiencing as much Chinese firsthand as you know maybe somebody else would okay what are some one well, this depends I don't know what the confidentiality agreement is with Disney but like what are some fun things that you would um, do with the kids to like a, a fun little lesson or what was your favorite thing to do with the kids? Um, oh gosh, well the nice thing with Disney is that, you know, everything, every bit of it is fun. That was our, right. you know, of course safety is number one and then fun <laughs> is the second most important thing. Um, so all of our, our lessons were based around activities, whether it's role playing, um, doing competitive games, um, putting on a show, singing songs, dancing, stuffed animals. I could go on and on. Wow. Um, so Living the dream. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I, I basically got paid to sing and dance. I guess my next question would be, what was the trans transition like? Um, because you evidently didn't stay at Disney English and you went on to teaching at a, um, a private Chinese school. So um, what was that like? How did you, how does one even go get a, a job at a private school in China? Uh, yeah, you know, it was something that I had been considering for a while where I was coming up towards the end of my contract with Disney English. I was about nine months in. I knew that it wasn't something I wanted to do forever. Um, it wasn't, you know, I'm a, I'm a secondary education teacher and I was teaching kindergartners and as much as I loved them, um, I knew that I needed to keep focusing on what my actual career was. Mm -hmm. Um, so come the summer, I knew that that was time for recruiting for all the high schools and that if I didn't jump ship now and start looking for a job, I wasn't going to get a job in the middle of December, schools don't hire. So that was why I knew that I needed to start looking around at some high schools and take that opportunity. Otherwise I was gonna miss it and have to wait another year. Um, so there are a bajillion, exactly a bajillion is my you know, scientific estimate, um, mm -hmm. schools in China, because there are quite literally a bajillion kids in China. Um, so there are these international programs that Chinese schools offer now um, for the wealthy, typically wealthy kids who want to go and study abroad, usually in the U.S., Europe, Australia. Um, and what they do is they hire a bunch of foreigners to teach a foreign curriculum in English. So oh. these are Chinese kids who are taking most of their classes in English and then get some kind of high school diploma or transcript that allows them to enroll in college abroad or university. Um, okay. 
So they are always in need of foreign teachers because they need the foreign faces to kind of sell the program to mommy and daddy. Um, it's very much a status thing that they want to show. Look, we've got real foreigners teaching your kids real classes in English. Um, and we're going to prepare them to do very well in the U.S. or in Canada or in England, etc. Um, so wait, what? What, whose curriculum are you teaching them? So, this is something that also varies in China. Um, it's just kind of the way things are. You get accredited schools that maybe have a um, sister school abroad, you know, in the U.S., and maybe they'll follow that school's state standards and curriculum. Or you have a school like the one that I was working at that hired a mishmash of people and kind of just said, teach this subject and didn't actually have any standards. So we really weren't upheld to anything. There was yeah. no, you know, no common core, you know, or no, you know, what state standards do we need to follow? Um, we had a case where our um, science teacher um, actually ended up having to leave halfway through the school year and they just couldn't find a replacement so they just said oh I guess the kids won't be learning science um so it was but it was and kind parents of are paying for this yes but parents okay. usually are in the dark about it um depending on the school there it's just it's a it's a problem that China is actually really trying to clamp down on China is trying to do a better job at regulating what kind of schools are built because they don't want these kids and their parents kind of getting scammed out of mm -hmm. their four years of college and ending or four years of high school. Um, but either way, it was kind of nice for me because I was hired as a history teacher and I kind of had free range to teach whatever I wanted. Okay, but at the same time, as a literally new teacher, that was your first classroom, right? And you don't have anything to follow or any guidelines, how did you find that? Oh, it was extremely challenging. Um, I would feel like I needed a little bit more guidance and a, like a path, you know? I completely <laughs> agree. And um, I think the thing was that most of the people in charge in schools like these actually don't have any experience with education. They are usually, you know, wealthy investors who realize that a school is a great way to make money. Um, so they just establish it. They just want it to look good. So they hire people and say, hey, just do your thing and make it good, which, you know, sometimes, you know, they hired some really amazing teachers that were able to do amazing things without being hindered by you know, you know, some kind of overhead. But yeah, for me, it's so funny that you say exactly what I dealt with was as a brand new teacher, I was like, no, I don't. I, you telling me, oh, you can teach whatever you want is not like a blessing for me. It's like, <laughs> not, yeah. not when you start out, at least. Yeah, no, I was like, no, I need someone to hold my hand and tell me what I'm doing wrong, you know. So yeah. unfortunately, I didn't have a mentor. I had nobody in to observe my classes. It was just make sure that all the kids pass and make sure that they are happy. Um, wow. So it was, it was really challenging because yeah, I, I, I can even just like finding, so the, much. finding the resources to, to use in your classrooms. Like, did you have textbooks? Um, 
and with the whole internet thing, like how much how much research can they do online? Like, yeah, how does that all it work? Was, it was very challenging um, because most um, Western, a lot of Western websites are blocked. You can't get on mm -hmm. Google. You can't use YouTube. Um, a lot of the news sites, most Western news sites are blocked. And even though you can access with, it's called a VPN that is, you know, technically not the most legal, it's not allowed in China, but everybody mm -hmm. has one that you can access these sites, but it's incredibly slow. Um, and you, you don't know that all your students have access and, um, we didn't really have the resources for these kids to be doing research projects, you know. Mm -hmm. They had never learned how to use an online database past Wikipedia. Um, so that was hard. Um, I had about 50 students in two separate classes, and we had maybe 15 textbooks. Um, so using the textbook was kind of out of the question, and even if I did have enough textbooks, um, my students' English ability was not high enough that they could understand most of the words or sentences in that textbook. Right. Um, so, yeah. That's a lot of challenges. That's <laughs> a ton it, of, did you ever feel just kind of like this wasn't your thing? That you were like, not that you were thrown under the bus, but you were just given like a huge mountain to kind of go up by yourself without, I don't know, the proper mentor or guidance or, or things like that. It was frustrating. You know, for me, though, yeah, okay, it was, you know, not the most ideal situation. I kind of took it as, well, it's a chance for me to, you know, create a lot of my own curriculum materials and try new things with these kids. But what, you know, kind of rattled me the most was that these were students who were in their last year of high school that are now preparing to go to the United States. And all I could think of is these kids are not prepared to sit in a lecture in an American university with a professor that's going to be talking a mile a minute. Yeah. But I just was so concerned that these kids were going to get to the U.S. and just be totally not prepared. Blown out of the yeah. water. Yeah. And that's what kind of bummed me out was that we really weren't doing enough for the kids or that we had led their parents to believe that they were prepared for it when they weren't um and i could only do so much you know i inherited them in their last year of schooling um, yeah. you know even the best teacher really i can't teach them how to be fluent english speakers that quickly mm -hmm. um so that kind of bummed me out but i still i i, I fostered really good relationships with my kids and you know, I'm, I hope to keep in touch with them. A lot of them have already gotten to the U.S., so they're, they're getting ready, and I'm just keeping my fingers crossed and telling yeah. them any help they need. I'll, I'm there for them. So, yeah, it was, it was challenging having to do it kind of on my own. Mm -hmm. And even though, I don't know, I'm just kind of thinking of the relationships, even though you might have not had a mentor, you were definitely a mentor for them because I'm sure they looked up from you, looked up to you, um, having you come from the U.S. and especially if they were going over um, to the United States, you were the you were the know-all. I'm sure all of the questions and concerns that they had, they were super comfortable asking you, and I'm sure that you really helped them a lot. 
like in their journey. Yeah, definitely. On our on my last day of school, I had um, <laughs> one of my students wrote me a little note that said, "Teacher, I want to know what are some bad bugs in America." And I was like, "Oh, like bad? Are you worried about bugs? Like, I guess there's mosquitoes, but you know, we we have screens on the door. Like, you don't have to worry about them getting in your house." And it turns out she said, "No, I'm wondering about." Bugs that live in your bed. You want to oh, talk about bed bugs that she heard that America had bed bugs, and and since I was from America, do I, I know what to do about them? <laughs> it was just she was so worried. <laughs> oh, that is the best story. Um, so I, I guess I put her mind at ease, but so yeah, yeah not just the school-related stuff. It was kind of just anything, you know. How do just I make friends with kids in the U.S.? What are the, what kind of foods am I supposed to eat? What am I supposed to do when I'm there? So I think that's mm -hmm. the stuff they were most worried about because they're teenagers. Of course, yeah. And so, well, what what are teenagers like in China? What 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 kind of students did you have in front of you in your classroom? Oh my gosh, kids are the same everywhere in the world. I can't yeah. believe it. It's so weird how how they really are. I mean, my kids, they're glued to their phones. They've got this video game that they all play on their phones. Um, it's really cute. They're taking selfies all day. They're, um, it's typical, it's, basically. Yeah, it's very, very typical. Um, Chinese schools don't deal with drugs and violence like maybe American schools you like the disciplinary in that sense you really okay. don't have to worry about stuff like that i don't know what it's like with oh. canada but you know the u.s you would have mm. fights in the hallway you have worried about you know kids with drugs but in right. china you know there's there are no drugs that you hear of um other than wow smoke cigarettes um <laughs> which is a problem but that's another but um the really only problems that these kids have are number one it can be the the um computer addiction and cell yeah. phone addiction um and two cheating is is oh. rampant i mean that's kind of china's infamous for the cheating culture um because of the pressure on these kids because that's they've been gonna say. yeah they've been raised to only take these standardized tests um the only way to get into chinese college is to take the gaokao which is their one Chinese entrance exam that you can only take once a year, and if you oh. fail, you don't go to college. So, oh, wow, no pressure, but yeah. so for these kids, you know, it's when they have these big tests that determine their grade or their future. If it if the stakes are that high, like, why wouldn't you cheat if you had the opportunity? Is kind mm -hmm. of sometimes the the um mindset you know if i can do it why wouldn't i um if i can get away with it and that's not everybody i think you know they kind of just have that reputation but you read stories about students having other students sit in for their sat exams or for their english placement exams um so that was definitely a problem that we had in the school um kids would get fake cell phones fake iphones <sighs> perfect replicas that at the beginning of the exam okay everyone hand in your phones they would hand in oh. the fake phone and have their real phone hidden under their sleeve or in their shirt or taped to the bottom wow. of the desk um so 
That's insane. <laughs> a more unique um, kind Nobody of... in Canada would ever do that. Really? And if they did, it would be like on CBC music. <laughs> it would be everywhere. People would be raging about it. That's something um, that I tried to explain to my students. Uh, plagiarism, another thing. Mm-hmm. For them, they just didn't really realize that, you know, copying the person next to you's <laughs> answers, I would get essays back that were exact copies. And I explained to them, if you do that in college, that's plagiarizing and, and you get kicked out. Yeah, you know? everything you've worked for is right. over. So I would try to explain to them or I would say, hey, if you cheat on this test, I'm going to go and write a letter to California and tell California not to take you into their <laughs> so try to scare them into it oh absolutely um you you said that teenagers are are all the same everywhere and I think just kids in general and I this is one question that just came to mind to me this morning and I was wondering if this year in teaching if you went through the whole phase of the dabs and the bottle flips <laughs> and the fidget spinners because I've seen the teachers like t-shirts where it says I survived you know um uh, school 2016 2017 and there's like somebody dabbing like a bottle and a fidget spinner so did you experience any of that over there (laughs) um no I know like one of my well I had one student that was into the bottle flipping for a day um I'm trying to think memes because it's still an issue here in Canada like even in the summer, like I, I'm doing summer camps and the fidget spinners are out, bottles are flipping everywhere. I have to say the dab is, is dying off, but the rest of that stuff lives on. It took me yeah, weeks least. to finally figure out what a fidget spinner was because what? it was not a thing here. I mean, next year maybe. China's sometimes slow to pick up on this because we don't have <laughs> Snapchat or anything. <laughs> I feel but, like Canada got all of their fidget spinners from China. Oh, well, like, now everything. they sell them everywhere. I do. Okay. I, they sell them everywhere here because they are made here. But, yeah, none of my students had them. Interesting. Uh, I'm trying to think of what weird memes my kids were into. Um, I think I, we were pretty isolated from it. Um, our kids, the big trend is this multiplayer online phone game i'm so out of touch now i can't believe it i I am a real teacher now i know um they they have some handheld game it looks like world of warcraft or something i don't know and they all play it they're all huddled in the back of the room all playing on the same team so that's kind of their big thing that they do but no no weird stuff like (laughs) like fidget spinners yeah well fair enough consider yourself so lucky so so lucky um okay so when did your school year end so I know that the school that you're talking about right now wasn't isn't the school that you ended at so what was the next steps um in your journey yeah so the school year just ended in June um by then I had secured a job at this new high school um my the Chinese school I was at got it just it was a little bit unprofessional to say the least, and they didn't really have their act together. Um, I realized that because it wasn't an accredited school, it was kind of a, not not a waste, but it wasn't wow. going to work towards my certification or help me keep it. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't, you know, it's a school that you couldn't even look up online to see if it existed. 
Um, oh, well, you kind of can. It's a weird. <laughs> yeah. um, and again, I didn't have a mentor. I wasn't going to grow as a teacher. No. Um, so I knew that I had to see if I could, you know, try and find something else. Because once again, I was just not ready to leave China. Something about China is just very easy living. When when it's good, it's really good. Um, so I found this school that is um, an accredited international high school. And my previous school was Chinese High School International Division. This new okay. high school is an international school, which means it takes only foreign passport holders and that the Chinese government has no say in the curriculum. Um, at a Chinese school, they control kind of what subjects can be taught. Um, our textbooks were slightly censored. Um, Taiwan blacked out you know, glossary definition for Tiananmen Square, blocked out, completely blacked out, um, stuff like that. But they didn't want us to teach the kids. Whereas at this new school, um, because it's only foreign passport holders, because there are no Chinese students, the Chinese government kind of doesn't need to meddle worried, because they're not yeah. worried about what kind of information they are um, censoring. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so I'm teaching a proper, you know, U.S. curriculum, I'm teaching actually AP, so uh, you guys don't have AP in Canada, do you? Um, um, I'm not sure what, what AP stand for. is. That's wonderful. <laughs> uh, it's advanced placement. It's basically you take, it's like an honors class that you can then take a test for at the end of the year, and you can get college credit um, if you score a certain amount, which will then you know save you some time and money when you go on to university. Um, I don't think so. I've never heard of that in my whole life, but, um, if it does exist, somebody will probably let me know when I post this podcast and they'll be like, actually, Canada does have this. And then we will both have learned something new. Wonderful. <laughs> but it sounds like a really neat, cool thing that Canada might, maybe should have if I knew more about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was, uh, I took some, are you, are you for, is it, do you think it like you're going to be teaching it? Right. So. What, what are your thoughts? Oh, yeah. No, I took AP classes when I was in um, high school. And it was basically, you know, if you were an honors kid, it just meant for all the time you spend taking this honors class, you can take a test at the end that's um, created by, you know, the college board um, that says, all right, you know, this student passed, a student learned something, and that it was um, what equivalent of taking a college course that it was rigorous hmm. enough and the skills that were learned was enough that we will count this towards a few credits um, when you move on to university, which meant that I was a semester ahead by the time I started college. Um, so That is unreal. Yeah, it's No, we don't have anything like that. Oh, no. Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> we have to do it legitimately all the way through <laughs> and do all of our years of university from start to finish and retake, you know, physics 101 or psych 101 even though we took psych in grade 12 it, it didn't matter yeah well it definitely i mean it depends on the university and 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 what school you took it at and what you scored and um it depends on yeah the class and you know maybe someone will correct me if i don't have it i hope yeah. I have it exactly right god i took the classes and now i'm teaching them um but for me <laughs> well, you it. should be an expert <laughs> right um 
so, but it's kind of crazy because they've updated the tests. So what I learned, oh gosh, however many years ago, um, eight years ago is different than what I'll be teaching, just the skills that are taught. Um, it's a focus on being able to analyze and interpret information. It's not just memorizing content, which as a history teacher, you know, every student <laughs> dreads, oh, I don't want to have to memorize all these dates and names and yeah. battles. While a few, you know, dates and names are still important, I would hope that my students know who George Washington is. Um, it's more important that they can, you know, tell me what the importance and significance of the Declaration of Independence was rather than gotcha. rattle off a few dates. So that's what mm -hmm. our focus is with this AP class where they're going to really be honing in on their reading and writing skills um, and really start to think like historians which is kind of cool. Okay, so it's an AP class in history. Yes, correct? US okay. history. Oh, US history. Yeah, so you're so teaching US history in China. Yeah, too. And even though my kids are not Chinese that I'll be teaching, um, they're typically, my understanding, mostly from Asian countries. So these are kids who have probably likely never lived in the US in their lives or maybe mm -hmm. were born there but had barely lived there. So by getting them motivated to learn a history of a country that they might have is, never set foot in. Yeah, or time. irrelevant to them. Are they are they going, are these students also going to be going to university or college in the States, like your other school, or no? My old school had kind of like a, a kind of a deal with certain colleges in the U.S., which is why all of my kids were going to the United States. But mm -hmm. at this new school, they can go anywhere. Um, it kind of just depends okay. on maybe what their family history is, uh, what they want. Um, so they'll be going to college anywhere abroad or maybe even staying in China. Okay. At your new school, are there a lot of foreign teachers? Yes. Um, yeah. Oh God, I don't even think I could count at this point. Maybe, <laughs> maybe fifty to seventy-five. Um, what is the school population like that you're going to be teaching at? That seems like a lot of teachers. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's a very big school. The whole campus is kindergarten through twelfth grade. Okay. Um, and there is a Chinese track and an English track which means we do admit Chinese students to one half of the school and then the other half is for the foreign students. Again, because the Chinese government can has more of an input oh. on what the Chinese students learn. Um, but there are still foreign teachers who teach the Chinese students as well. They will teach ESL classes, English classes. Um, so because of that, there's kind of a lot of teachers because it we have so many students, and I don't even think I can tell you how many we have. <laughs> yeah, just just a ton. How do the students react to having a foreign teacher? What What is it like? Do they think you're a goddess, or is it really hard kind of winning over um, their respect? It's a mix. Um, with, yeah. with this new school, the foreign kids, I mean, they are indifferent. They've had foreign teachers their whole lives. Um, True. With my Chinese students... They might have only had an English teacher, you know, their, their one ESL teacher every year in, in their Chinese schools. Um, they, I think they really liked having foreign teachers if, if the teachers were, you know, friendly and somebody that they could build a relationship with. Um, it's definitely seen as cool. You know, our, our gym teacher, who was the basketball coach, was 
pretty much the hero of the school because of how much my my students adore the NBA. Um, okay. So when you're willing to show that you care about the kids, you know, and this is universal, right? Like if you show that you care about the things that the kids enjoy, then they in turn think that you're like awesome. And of course, for me, um, I'm this tiny little blonde, blue-eyed teacher. Yeah. <laughs> um, girls loved it. You know, they love mm. having a Western teacher. It's just something that's new and kind of fun. Um, so in that sense, they, they get kind of excited. Um, I think some of them maybe think, oh, it'll be easy class because it's just English class. Or on the other hand, they might think, oh, this is the worst thing ever because my English isn't good enough. <laughs> um, so it varies. It varies. But I think ultimately they think it's kind of a cool thing to have a foreign teacher. Yeah, that's, that's really neat. Um, one question I had forgot to ask you when you were um, talking about how um, the students are going over to the U.S. for their college or university. What are all of these students um, aspiring to be? What does a typical or non, uh, non-traditional or non-typical student want to be when they grow up, basically? What are some of the trades or practices? So China's kind of in a weird place right now where they're universities aren't really you know internationally acclaimed or anything like that um it's becoming more and more popular for students to go abroad to get an education um because that diploma is going to be more valuable um Mm -hmm. a lot of the students that go abroad from china are very wealthy pretty much all of them um and so the kids that are going are not necessarily brilliant and they might even not necessarily really want to go, but they have the means to do it, so it's kind of expected to do it because that is what will bring you the most success. Um, You also have kids who maybe don't do well in school for whatever reason, Um, and so parents know, oh man, my kid is not going to get into college in China because they're not going to pass that darn test So it's easier for me to send my kids to a private high school that will have some deal with a university abroad, um, get my kid pretty much guaranteed into college in the United States, um, and then have them graduate in four years and then come back and have this diploma. And um, if they don't make it through the four years, they typically will just go back home and join their parents' business. Um, The United, all these international colleges or colleges abroad are eager to take these kids from China despite what their grades are because Chinese kids pay full tuition. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's all about the money, right? Yes. So they are willing to take them pretty much like automatically um, because they just rake in so much money from that. Um, But unfortunately, you're not always yet getting the highest quality of students. It really is just money talks and and money can get you into these high schools and money is going to pay you for four years of uh you know no name liberal arts college that you're going to get a degree and then just come back to china and work for dad's company anyway um Hmm. i've heard from from your experience what are the students going over abroad to get a diploma for 
Like, are they going into science? Are they going into arts? Are they, you know, like, is are half of your half of your grade twelve class? Do they want to be like police officers or do they want to be coders? Like, what is a typical job? So honestly, they don't like with my students, and you know, my students were kind of this weird exception of like they are especially these like really wealthy kids. Um, they don't, and you know, they're they're still teenagers. They're seventeen, eighteen. They don't really know what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Chinese kids don't always get a say in what they get to do for the rest of their lives. Um, it's it's yeah. the responsibility of the child to take care of their parents after their parents retire. So the emphasis is get a really successful job, no matter what it is, or marry someone richer than you, um, so that you can pay for your parents' retirement because Chinese people don't have a retirement fund. They don't have social security. They invest in their child and then their child becoming successful is the return. Um, So yeah, I don't get my kids saying like, I've had like, you know, a few, I have one student does want to be a teacher. Um, Sometimes the girls have a little bit more say in what they get to do, especially if they are siblings, which is you know, a little bit more common with the wealthy because they can afford to have more than one, whereas other people had the one-child policy. Um, But for the most part, I think they kind of have this weird general, like, I want to do business or I will do something related to what my parents do. Um, But they're not as specific in my experience. So nobody's going into like archaeology or journalism or you know what I mean. No, <laughs> even being a doctor is not. You know, for me, you know, I think of oh, going to medical school. That's like a really prestigious thing. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no doctors. My kids are also kind of. Uh, <laughs> they are also kind of. I want to do what's easiest. Um, which is fine. Yeah. I think I was like that when I was 17. I still like that. Um, <laughs> um, so they're not thinking about it yet. I think they don't know what they're getting into. I'm hoping that after their first year of school, maybe they'll have a better idea of what they want to do. Yeah. Wow, that's really neat. Um, man, I just like where to go. Where to go from here? My like I like I said, my mind is is kind of buzzing. So. How many more years do you think you'll stay um, in China? Are you looking to like settle there? Are you gonna oh, go back to the U.S.? Like, are you just gonna rack up um, like the experience and kind of see where life takes you? What do you yeah, think? Yeah, you know, like I said before, I was really surprised at how much I liked living in China. Um, it comes with a lot. Pictures are beautiful that you post. Yeah. It makes me want to go there. <laughs> Good. Um, it's. It comes with challenges. You know, the air pollution is awful, and I worry every day about what it's going to do to my health. Um, mm-hmm. The food, well, the food's amazing. The food's amazing, but you sometimes worry about, you know, uh, safety, stuff like that. Um, it's a pain in the butt to deal with the visa stuff. They're always changing laws, and, of mm-hmm. course, the blocked, censored Internet and no access to news. Um, Did you feel out of the loop when you were there? um, Again, like I have a VPN, so I can access, but it's it's more difficult. Um, I think a hard thing is the time zone difference. You're always, you know, when things are happening, you're asleep, so you wake up, and oh my god, all of a sudden it's like, 
what has Donald Trump said this time? Um, I was yeah. just going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that can be challenging. But yeah, I, I mean, I get to travel. It's so easy. Shanghai is a transportation hub that I've been to so many countries that I never thought I'd go to. Um, I've gotten to try so many different foods. I've met people from all over the world. Um, so with that, like, I'm happy that I'm coming on like a year and a half in China and I just signed two-year contract that after the first year, you know, I'll see how I, how I still like it. But yeah. long term, you start to see people in China get a little bit cynical after like several years. Um, they call them like the lifers, people that are just in China for life. And I don't think that's something I would want to do. Yeah. Um, but I am enjoying it. There's a, For teachers, when you find like a, a proper, really good school, I mean you have the opportunity to make a lot more money than you could back home. Um, it's so much easier to find a job than, you know, say the job market in my home state. Um, and you get a little, you know, a little wiggle room. I don't think as for me as like, I've only had one year's teaching experience to now be teaching AP U.S. history. I don't think that's something I could have accomplished in the States mm -hmm. just because it's so competitive. Um, right. So you can find really nice opportunities. The quality of living in China can be amazing because the cost of living is so low. So you really, I mean, you can save so much money, do so many cool things. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, gosh, I'd recommend anybody <laughs> spend a year abroad, spend a year in China. Um, mm -hmm. It Especially. sounds like there's a lot more pros than cons, just from the way you're going. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which I can't even believe it because, you know, you get they call it in Shanghai, you have your Shanghai days and your Shanglo days. Um, <laughs> so they kind of, they definitely balance each other out. And, and I have now, this is my third time agreeing to take a job in China, that there must be something great about it <laughs> if I keep coming back. Yeah, well, hey, there's also Shanghai Disney. So oh, I can't believe I went this whole time without mentioning that. <laughs> I will say, I would say probably 49% of my decision to move to China with Disney was knowing that I would be there for the Shanghai Disneyland opening, and I did get to go to the trial operations and the cast previews and oh, opening day. Um, heart. <laughs> That's so, any Disney cast member, Disney fanatic's dream, honestly. Absolutely. I can only imagine how magical it was to be there. Yeah, so all the Disney fans, come visit us in Shanghai. I think everyone will be super stoked. Yeah. Have you ever thought of doing it a, a little internship there, working they, there at all? They really don't have opportunities for foreigners because... Shanghai Disneyland, I mean, is 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 built for the Chinese population because yeah, but you could rock a Tinkerbell. You could be Tinkerbell. <laughs> oh, I love going. I saw your visiting. bun. You got it. <laughs> you can write a letter to Bob Iger for me. Okay. <laughs> Yo, um, I know. I I really as much as I miss being a cast member. Um, there's something really cool about getting to go to Disney as a guest again and kind of just going and experiencing it like I'm on vacation. Haha. <laughs> um, so it's kind of nice in that sense. But I think, and I, I'm sure you'd agree, like once you've been a cast member, you, you never really forget that. 
No, and you see things differently too, which is oh, absolutely. Really nice. If I see a yeah. piece of trash, I am Disney scooping my scooping way over there. <laughs> I finally got over my Disney point too. So <laughs> every time somebody pointed with one finger, I'm like, oh, they're so rude. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So really, really cool. Well, Molly, I have taken up a lot of your time already, and I just I. I have this big, silly smile on my face. It's just been such a really, really, really nice conversation. So I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me um, and enlightening everybody on your experience. It's, it sounds like it's a fun one, and I can't wait to follow you um, on social media for, to, to hear the rest of it and see, and see where you go from there. So thanks again. Oh, you're very welcome. And, uh, you know, I'm always glad to share a little bit of what it's like to live abroad, live in China, especially with a fellow teacher. Um, yes. <laughs> so I'm glad we could chat about it and, uh, you know, find out when Canada is going to get some AP classes so that you guys can save some time Absolutely. in university. We need to get on that. We're, we're behind the times. I'm sure you guys have <laughs> Canada's the best, right? Um. <laughs> Try we're just nice, and we say sorry, and we drink our maple syrup, and Honestly, everybody's hunky-dory. Canada might have to be my next stop after China, so. Yeah, well, you never know. Well, my, my home is, is welcome to you. We're, we're very welcoming here, so. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Sarah. This has been wonderful. Thank you again. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Que Sera Sera with me, Sarah Ann Lalone. You can stay connected with me on Twitter at Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, Lalonde, L-A-L-O-N-D-E-E. And you can also find my podcast on iTunes under Que Sera Sera. Mm-hmm.